Our text today comes from, not the gospel, rather Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I'll read through verse 16 from the Common English Bible. The man, Adam, knew his wife, Eve, intimately. She became pregnant and gave birth to Cain and said, I have given life to a man with the Lord's help. She gave birth a second time to Cain's brother, Abel. Abel cared for the flocks and Cain farmed the fertile land. Sometime later, Cain presented an offering to the Lord from the land's crops, while Abel presented his flock's oldest offspring with their fat. The Lord looked very favorably on Abel and his sacrifice, but did not look favorably on Cain and his sacrifice. Cain became very angry and looked resentful. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why do you look so resentful? If you do the right thing, won't you be accepted? But if you don't do the right thing, sin will be waiting at the door, ready to strike. It will entice you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. When they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. The Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Cain said, I don't know. Am I my brother's guardian? The Lord said, what did you do? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. You are now cursed from the ground that opened its mouth to take your brother's blood from your hand. When you farm the fertile land, it will no longer grow anything for you, and when you will become a roving nomad on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more severe than anything I can bear. And now that you've driven me away from the fertile land and I'm hidden from your presence, I'm about to become a roving nomad on the earth. And anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord said to him, it won't happen. Anyone who kills Cain will be paid back seven times. The Lord put a sign on Cain so that no one who found him would assault him. Cain left the Lord's presence and he settled down in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. I have one sibling, a sister, who is five and one half years younger than me. Kristen and I have managed to stay fairly close almost all of our lives, even though we have had anything but a perfect relationship. So as I read this story from Genesis 4, I, I tried my best to allow my imagination to crawl into the darkest recesses of my mind 
in order to come up with any hypothetical scenario where I could remotely imagine myself murdering my baby sister, and I simply could not do it. Now call me sheltered, call me lucky to have been raised in an environment that allowed me to bond and relate to my sister in at least a mostly peaceful manner, as peaceful as kids can do growing up, I suppose. I mean, go ahead and use that word that seems to emote so much negativity today. Call me privileged in that regard. I suppose those things I just listed would be, for the most part, true of my upbringing. Oh, sure, we had our moments of disagreement, and you know what? Sometimes we still do, but murder her? Me? If only... This story was as simple as my kindergarten Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Sylvia Gorey, explained it to me one Sunday morning in the church of my childhood in Georgetown, Texas. And so, she told our class of tiny squirming bodies, the next time you get to feeling jealous that what someone else has to offer God is superior to what you seem to be offering God, you had best ask God to forgive you before you go on doing something horrible to your brother or sister like Cain did. I remember it like it was yesterday because as far as I know, that's the only lesson I ever received in all 46 years I've been in the church, which is all of my life on this text. Now, I love Mrs. Gorey dearly, and I'm also fairly sure that it probably never occurred to her that her biblical interpretation of Genesis 4 would be used as a potentially negative example in a doctoral-level preaching class. She loved us well, and quite honestly, before I was assigned this text so kindly by Dr. Ward, I was most inclined to go along with Mrs. Gorey's exegesis. But as I put my preacher goggles on, do you have those? I have a set. I started to dig deeper into this text. I began to have this nagging suspicion start to well up within me that her interpretation was at least partly what we preacher types might call eisegesis to make some of these assumptions a reading into this text of something that may not actually be there at all. To say that Cain's offering was inferior to Abel's and that that is why he became so jealous is actually not stated in the text at all. I could have sworn it was there before this assignment. It's just not there. It may be hinted at by New Testament authors many years later, and folks like Calvin certainly waded into the pool with their own ideas about the text, but if only we had all the information, I began to think as I looked at this text more closely, if only we had all the pieces of the puzzle, surely we're missing something here from, from this story that must have pushed Cain so far that he snapped. Maybe... Well, then we could neatly apply the moral and ethical lessons we feel we should be able to take away from a wisdom story of this nature. Surely there are pieces missing. If only, if only we knew Cain's whole story. If only.
What we do know is that at the beginning of these 16 verses, we see what appears to be a happy or at least a fairly functional family. And by the time we get to the end of the last of the 16 verses, it all ends in complete unresolved alienation, displacement, and isolation from wholeness to brokenness, from unified to isolated. In a group even as small as ours this afternoon, some of us have probably been in families where we witness things completely falling apart. One day, at least from a distance, it seems, you know, things are okay. That is, until the affair is discovered or until the cancer strikes its final blow or until the car accident or until rage finally got the best of our loved one and they just snapped. Until the big fight in the family, usually at Christmas or Thanksgiving, left everyone wounded. You know, even if we have escaped these kinds of tragedies in our own families, we have probably as ministers witnessed families in our churches and our communities who seemed at least from a distance solid, they seemed stable, you know, and yet overnight something happened. We don't know exactly when it happened. We see things a bit from a distance sometimes, and we witness their brokenness later, and we wonder, are these the same people that we've seen all these other days? And sadly, as ministers, some of us may have even seen a similar thing happen in a church family, maybe even while we were serving there as minister or somewhere at a neighboring congregation. One moment we witness a church family, they're having board meetings, they're receiving new members, they're enjoying vibrant worship services together, they're holding Sunday school and youth group, and when they serve communion to one another, they look each other in the eyes, it's almost like they love each other. And then something snaps someplace and we're not quite sure when or where it happened. And there's backstabbing gossip and there's murdered reputations and there's stone cold empty pews. And not that long ago, it seemed like they were a fully alive, functioning church, a vibrant family of faith, sharing life and, and doing ministry. But then the next day, the church closes or its members have scattered. If only, we think, if only there was a clear, cut and dried, one-size-fits-all explanation for the reasons that our lives and our families and sometimes even our church families can be torn to shreds overnight. If only we had all of the information, if only we had all of the reasons, if only we had all of the data, all of the pieces of the puzzle, if only, then surely we could make sense of it all, if only. A story of these brothers in Genesis reveals an uncomfortable series of snapshots, not just of one family, but of the human family and the human condition. 
These snapshots are messy, they're fuzzy, they're out of focus at best. Uh, the truth is that we seldom have all of the information ever at one time in front of us for those times where people snap, where people bend, where people break, or when it all goes downhill. So we spend a great deal of time trying to figure out who or what to blame for the world's inexplainable tragedies like this, and we grasp for all sorts of reasons and assume we can surely, if we can find them all, we can piece them all together and we can make sense of it all. If, if only we had all the information, if only we knew the, the backstory of that person before that horrible time. If only, we say... And we try to make sense of it and find pieces when we don't see them laying around. If, if only, we say, if only their parents had not treated them so poorly. And the truth is there are some unforgivable parents who abuse their children terribly. You know, we, we look for more pieces laying around and we say, you know, if only depression had not ravaged their life and their mind. And, and the truth is that depression and despair are without a doubt deadly companions that never leave us fully or quickly without leaving their mark indelibly pressed upon so many of our souls. And we don't talk about these sorts of dark things very well as a society or even as a church family sometimes. We, we go on reasoning to ourselves, if only... But we don't really get much further than that. We think about it. Well, what if Cain? What if, if only Cain would have had someone he felt he could talk to about his jealousy or his feelings or his inferiority or whatever it was, whatever Cain's deal was. If only he'd had someone he could talk to, surely, surely then we, he could have avoided this life-altering story, this tragedy. And I suppose... The truth is, we really don't know exactly some of the pieces of this story that led to this murder. And I suppose we, we never actually do in our own lives, if we're being completely honest, or in the lives of those people around us. I mean, let's be real for a minute. There, there's always more to someone's tragic, messy, life-altering, horrible story than what meets the eye. All we can do is sit back and wish to God it did not happen and cuss or cry or bang our fist against the wall in empathy and we say, if only, without having any real answers. Because if only is sometimes, sadly enough, it's actually the kindest, most rational thing that we can say or think besides I'm listening. I wonder what any of us would do in a similar situation if we were completely convinced that God had rejected the best of what we had to offer. Can we really blame Cain if he felt this way? What if Cain really felt he had offered his very best to God and God was the one rejecting it? Now, Walter Brueggemann makes the audacious claim in his commentary on this text, and I quote, that the trouble in this story actually doesn't come from Cain, but from Yahweh. Oof. Oof. I'll confess, since I'm among fellow preachers, that I have often called him Crazy Uncle Walt. His voice often comes to me 
with these types of unthinkable, heretical-sounding thoughts whenever I read something, particularly from the Hebrew Scriptures, that sounds inexplainable or disjointed. But old crazy Uncle Walter, by the way, is actually one of my favorites. Uh, He comments on what's actually in this story, and the truth is, in this story, Cain doesn't fly off the handle until he took his offering to God and experienced some kind of rejection from God. Have I mentioned that this is a very messy and theologically problematic story? If only we knew which part of the story we're not hearing about, which part had been left out. If only we could explain away the implication here that God, at least in some manner, rejected Cain's offering or deemed it unworthy for some unknown reason. If only we could explain that. If only they had archives of the Eden Times or the Paradise Post. We could scroll back through the archives. Maybe we could see and we could understand and we could investigate some of the mounting pressures that Cain must have been experiencing because of his own current day events and world happenings. Maybe then, maybe then we could explain this tragedy away. You know, here's where we go. Now, I want you to engage your imagination muscles with me for just a moment. Can you do that? And I want you to see if you could find this maybe as a plausible explanation for this murder we've been trying to solve now. For a while, perhaps. Now I know this may sound extremely foreign to any of you, um, but perhaps I don't know. Perhaps the top leader of Cain and Abel's tribe was a real loose cannon. I mean, a dangerous fellow for sure. And while they didn't have Twitter, what if the day that day Cain snapped and murdered his brother? Cain's tribal leader just hours before had left some pretty nasty threats nailed to the tree facing the enemy's village before the sun went down. And to make matters worse, what if he followed up this nasty threatening note by killing the top military leader of the other tribe? Would Cain be forced to go and fight in a war now? If only his leader had not been acting so crazy. If only Cain had someone to talk about his disgust and his despair over the world. And how it seemed to be going to hell in a handbasket. We don't know the rest of the story. We don't know. If only. And we can all wake up on any given day to all manner of hell breaking loose as we have lately across the globe or in our own backyard and today as we sit here fires are ravaging our siblings in australia and today our nation is in a destructive deadly military cat and mouse game with iran and god only knows how many nations from the middle east elsewhere and today puerto ricans are dealing with the aftermath of a powerful earthquake and today we are not at war as far as we know on our own soil Technically, but culturally, there's a lot of culture war going on, friends. You know, over all manner of things, over whether the POTUS should be impeached or whether or not it should be Happy Holidays or Merry Christmas, and even apparently who gets the last chicken sandwich at the checkout line at Popeye's. This very minute, the world is on edge, assuming every airplane with mechanical difficulties is a terrorist attack. If only, if only we knew 
What events must have been going on that didn't make the story? You can bet there were some. We'll never know exactly what made Cain snap and end his brother's life, and I suspect we do not have all the information, and friends, we never will. That is the harsh reality of this messy, problematic story, and often that is the harsh reality of our messy, problematic lives today. So when we think about stories so far removed from our own time, we're tempted to spend energy asking questions like, well, did this story literally happen? I mean, are Cain and Abel two actual brothers? But there are much more pressing concerns than the historicity or the literalness of this story because unfortunately, Cain still kills Abel in our world and it happens every day and we never have all of the information in front of us to satisfy all the questions we have if only we did. Well, is there any good news in this tragic, sad, murderous tale? Where is the gospel in all of this mess? Is there some shred, is there some morsel that we can take with us as preachers, as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, other than life is complicated and messy and filled with heartache and agony? I hope so. I think so. I think the ancient storyteller might just remind us that in addition to being unpredictable and messy, that life, if it is nothing else, is also a gift. This gift is as close to us as our sibling, and we can only fully enjoy this gift of life when we embrace those who are close to us as our very noses. And this gift of life is accompanied by God's gift of grace, which extends even beyond our capacity to destroy the gift of life itself. For as we've seen in the story, even in the wake of murder, the human-induced death of this sacred gift of life itself, God's grace extends to Cain and to any of us even though the consequences of our sinful, destructive behaviors may indeed leave us wandering far away from the home we have actually destroyed ourselves, maybe, just, maybe, I wonder, maybe we don't actually need all the information and all the pieces of the puzzle to solve all of the messes we make and all the messes we witness in other people's lives. Maybe, Maybe if we could only learn to rest in the truth that no matter what we or anyone else have done and no matter where we are once we've left the mess behind, that there is always grace. Maybe we could learn grace like this. If only. May God help us. Amen.